this morning's scripture reading is Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. Some of you might know that our, uh, one of our, our, our men's Bible study groups that meets during the week, the Thursday morning group, I think it is, the one that is keeping uh, Einstein bagels flush, <laughs> they, they, uh, they're practiced to take whatever scripture is going to be preached on the next Sunday, and they look at that ahead of time. And it's a little intimidating, to be honest. Uh, no, no doubt uh, it's why when I'm going on on a Sunday morning trying to make a point, there's a, a few guys that are kind of shaking their heads a little bit and saying, you know, don't go down that rabbit hole. You know, they're way ahead of me. Yeah, then after, after worship, we gather for a cup of coffee, and there's some guys that come up and they go, ah, Steve, uh, almost, almost. So it's no wonder I was in the office earlier this week, kind of getting things ready, and in came one of the guys from that group, and he delivered a, a reprint of our Matthew text for today. Um, it seems our boys over bagels and coffee have had their issues not only with my preaching, but now with our text, I mean, the very words of Jesus. So they handed me what they have turned the Mount Olympus redacted version. So I think, I think we have a copy for you to look at. There we go. Yeah. yeah you, you can look through it and compare that to what we just heard. So you can, you can see some things are, are kind of missing that perhaps we shouldn't quite take them all out. Yeah, it would save a lot of paper, I think, but they've removed all the hard parts, all the difficult parts. You know, I, I showed this in the first service, too, and after the service was over, a, you know, a woman was pretty concerned <laughs> that they, they did that to the Bible? I said it, it was a joke. <laughs> they were making fun. So it's not true. They're, they're reading the whole Bible. <laughs> so I've been wanting to uh, have us take a look at what are called the mutuality commands in Scripture. Uh, in the New Testament, these are all the, the one another statements that we find there. Uh, these statements that are, are not always that simple. But they do help us and lead us into uh, a new way of being in relationship 
to each other, being part of the church. You know, I flew in and out of Charlotte, North Carolina this week, and in the airport there's these large billboard-sized photographs of Billy Graham, who's from Charlotte area. And, of course, he died a couple of years ago, but, you know, he's still a powerful figure there. And so his big, his, his face on the signboard and the words, basically, welcome to, to Charlotte, and then visit the Billy Graham Center. <laughs> Billy Graham once said that our world has become a neighborhood without becoming a brotherhood. It's possible. It's possible we're missing something, just like that redacted version, that we might miss something that's critical in our own living. Jesus, in, this, in the unredacted version of the Sermon on the Mount, he holds that, that love is expansive. It's, it's wide enough for our enemies, reaching even those who may not be treating us with fairness and dignity and love. Here it's been said, in this part of Scripture especially, the Sermon on the Mount, and here we hear the true voice of Jesus, the real Jesus, some say. And here Jesus is absolutely unique from the rest of the world. You know, others have counseled patience when we are treated unfairly or without that dignity or we're injured by others. But nowhere else do we find this idea of love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's unique to Jesus. He frees us, it seems, from our own calculations. When we begin to worry about how to be warm to those who are hostile to us or those who are undeserving of our affection or even our attention, how much we ought to love certain people? How far can we go with them? Do you ever measure that out like I do? <laughs> well, that's enough. I've gone far enough with that person. Jesus simply, but really terrifyingly, abolishes all of those distinctions that we can make. His followers were to love their enemies. Period. And so it's no wonder that we want to redact this text because we live out there in this world where it's not always simple. We are to be, in a word, greeters. Jesus says to greet those in our lives. Greet those people who do, who do not calculate love, but rather we extend it to those who don't deserve it. There are many of these commands that challenge us to be a, a sisterhood or a brotherhood. Forgive one another, be subject to one another, forbear one another, serve one another, and on it goes, encourage one another. All of them have their root in that one main command of Jesus to love one another as he has loved us. So today, greet one another. The unredacted version is this. You heard it a moment ago. If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's setting the bar fairly high when it comes to greeting people. 
We are to be like God himself. Greeting one another appears to be a trait of God himself. Jesus holds it up before us, stating that we are to be generous in our greetings, extending them not only to the easy people, but to the hard people, the outsiders, our neighbors, to our enemies, those who have it in for us and may not have it in for them to greet us in return. We are to love those not only who have a burden, but it seems we are also to love those who are a burden to us. And that's hard. That's just very hard. And we'll get back to that perfect part in just a moment. The Apostle Paul picks up on this whole idea of sisterhood, brotherhood, and greeting one another in this benediction at the end of the book of Romans. He writes to these Roman Christians. It's a very theological book, as you know. But when he gets to the last chapter, it's all about greeting. He greets 26 people, individuals. Greet this person. Greet that person. Greet this church and, and this group. Greet them all. There's this wide expanse of Paul wanting to basically embrace people in that Roman church. Then the instruction comes in verse 16, to greet one another with a holy kiss. We'll come back to that holy kiss idea too. If someone once asked the high society hostess Pearl Mesta, the greatest Washington hostess since Dolly Madison, the secret of her success in getting so many prominent people to attend her parties. It's all in the greetings and the goodbyes, she said. As each guest arrived, she met him or her with, at last you're here. And as each left, she expressed her regrets with, I'm sorry you have to leave so soon. It's all in the greetings and goodbyes. So we know that to give a greeting is a way of affirming people. If some have divided the world into two kinds of people, those who arrive with an attitude of, here I am, and those who arrive with an attitude of, there you are. Which are we? I read something interesting this week about the tribes of northern Natal in South Africa. The most common greeting for the equivalent of their hello is the expression sawu bona, which literally means, I see you, I see you. To be replied with this other word, sakona, meaning here I am, or I am here. I see you, I see you. And the order of this exchange is so important that in until you see me, I do not exist. Until you see me, I'm really not here. It's as if, as one scholar wrote, when you see me, you bring me into existence. It's why loneliness, I think, is so lonely. To not be seen by others, we begin to feel like we, we lack existence, that we lack a being. Martin Buber, the the Jewish philosopher once said that all true living is meaning. He claimed that it's at least one moment when the eternal is present to us, is that when we truly meet with other people. He said that it's possible that we can miss true living. 
when we fail to bring one another into existence, when we fail to see one another. Now we all know that hard side of not being greeted, being lonely in a crowd, not picked for the team, start stranger in a new place, not asked to the dance, maybe even gone home from church without one person noticing us, saying hello and asking how the the week has gone for us, what's going on in our lives. Of course, whenever I say that out loud, when I get home after church, Cindy always reminds me, well, did you greet anyone? (laughs) Touche. (laughs) Consider yourself greeted. (laughs) So turn to the, the people around you this morning. Practice this one little simple task. This one line of greeting. Say to them, and truly mean it, at last you're here. Go ahead. Go ahead and turn and say that to one another. <laughs> now, now say to them or to somebody else, say, the church wouldn't be the same without you. Go ahead. You know, that's, uh, that's a pretty safe statement. <laughs> I mean, you could, that could have a lot of meanings, right? <laughs> Church wouldn't be the same without you. Now, give that person a holy kiss. <laughs> hmm. See, you're already redacting these things. <laughs> I mean, look at that. It's a little too much. Okay. Well, I just wanted to see what you'd do with that one. But if you did brave that holy kiss, you were doing something that the New Testament church in that first century had become very common practice. Again, after the first service, I was, you know, I, I mentioned this there too. I don't know if you know uh, Gerson. He's a chaplain here in, in Salt Lake, but he's native Brazilian and had been a pastor in Brazil. And he said that when he would after the services in Brazil, when people would file out of the church, they would all kiss him on the cheek. So I'm not suggesting anything. (laughs) But the holy kiss, it's out there. (laughs) Uh, It's a way of expressing true affection, a a depth, a, a deeper affection that was a part of early Christianhood. So, a way to welcome people to communicate special affection and attention, a a bond between us. Cherish is probably the the best word when we think about what's going on there when Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. It's cherish one another. A true sense of warmth that's carried with that to accept each other and to have genuine interest in one another. Remember that story when Jesus was in the home of Simon the Pharisee, and uh, as he arrived, his feet were washed with perfume. We talked about this not too, too long ago. And uh, Simon the Pharisee objects to not necessarily the perfume in this case, but the woman who had anointed his feet with this. You know, so he says, 
if you were a prophet, you would know who this woman is that is anointing your feet. Yeah, and Jesus responds by saying that, well, she showed him great love, while Simon did not even give me a kiss. New Testament church. There was a way to, to show and to express the depth of our belongings to one another. The kiss of greeting in those days, it became a, this method of this deep value, a way of saying to somebody else, you know, you're really sacred to me in the sight of God. The person that you are is, you know, I'm just holding you before God. We need to find ways to do that, don't we? So don't worry. I'm not calling us to holy kissing. <laughs> but maybe we need to think about how we're seeing each other, truly meeting one another, bringing each other into existence to find ways to express, you really matter to me. I'm glad you're in my life. How we can have sacred meetings, sacred conversations, sacred relationships. Cherish one another. Most of you, I think, know that I've spent uh, this last weekend about four days with these 11 other men where we call ourselves a, a covenant group. We've been meeting together. This year was 29 years, so it'll be 30 years. Next year, every year, right after Easter, we gather, usually in North Carolina. And we are there really to support each other, check in, encourage, play golf, just chat, spend some days together. Um, and it's, it's been good most every year. It's been these ongoing relationships, you know, which we don't spend a lot of time with the rest of the year, but when we're there, we're with, try to be with each other. And uh, when we first see each other in gathering, there's a hug, and when we depart, there's a hug. And we share the Lord's Supper, and we try to place our our covenant, our relationship with each other on a sacred basis. I think those guys see me. And uh, that can be hard at times, to be seen that closely, to have somebody know you that well. There's no kissing. <laughs> that would just be weird. <laughs> but they do see us. They do see me. I think we're called to that to cherish one another. The question that comes to mind as I hear Jesus' command here is, is to think, well, am I much of a greeter? Am I seeing people as I need to see people? You know, years ago I read a statement of what it might mean to follow this command to greet one another. Here it is to consciously recognize another person with both verbal and physical signals so as to convey an attitude of goodwill toward that person and a love that person which is clear. Yeah, this is kind of wearing me out just reading it. <laughs> it doesn't convey the, the idea of, of cherish, of, of true acceptance and endearment and sacredness that is called for. Sacred greetings are unique. We, we know it when we receive it. We feel it when, when someone truly understands who we are and enters into our life when we've been held before God by others. 
I'm reminded of Lucy, you know, the Peanuts character, the old line. Remember where she says, I love humanity, it's people I can't stand. Isn't that true? People in the particular make this mutuality command so hard, don't they? People can be rude, self-absorbed, disappointing, (laughs) passive-aggressive. They can have agendas that don't make sense to me. They can be so different, let alone for some reason not appreciate who we are. There are days when it's just about impossible to coexist with the seven billion others on this planet. And so it's easy, at least for me, to conclude that my faith is best lived out in the small space of me and thee. Just go into my office, go into my study, and just be there with God. How much easier is that? But that's not the way of Jesus. (laughs) Here's the unredacted line from our text. If you folks just give warm greetings to your spiritual brothers and sisters, what's so special about that? That's Dale Bruner's take on that line. He thinks that we might calibrate our our greetings down a very exact calculus from friend to foe, and we kind of know where everybody stands. He writes that Jesus was referring to the common Hebrew greeting of Shalom Alaka, which means peace be with you. A religious duty to greet your brothers and sisters in the faith with that greeting. But now Jesus is saying, share that greeting much more widely. He's shifting the command to include even those beyond the regular circles, the righteous and the unrighteous, he's saying now. All those on whom the sun and the rain fall wasn't a common practice back then. Much more measured. So Bruner says, Christians' greetings are to be to to the human world what the Father's Son and rain are to the natural world. And like the Father's Son, the disciples' greetings are to be warm, impartial, and wide-reaching. That's the new command, the new mutuality that Jesus wants us to live into. And isn't that the heart of Christian theology, really? That God has love for an enemy world. But God's come. Even though the world has rejected God's love, God has still come. The sun shines down on the righteous and the unrighteous. God shows no partiality. There's such an evenness in God's economy of grace, unlike my own. The good and the evil in in God's ways receive equal treatment. You know, it seems to be a a developing trend in in weather reporting (laughs) to to recognize when a storm is approaching the number of people who will be impacted by that storm. Have you seen this in the news lately? They'll say something like, 17 million people are in the path of this monster storm. Yeah, they must be reading Matthew, but yeah, except if you live like in Wyoming. Yeah, I've noticed up there they, they don't they go they don't say like well twenty six people <laughs> <laughs> and five hundred thousand pronghorn antelope. <laughs> they don't say it up there, but you know across the rest of the country they like to point out how many people are going to get wet 
So it's kind of like Matthew or Jesus. It's all inclusive when it comes to God's character. His maturity is so great that God gives himself uh, in his world as generously to the bad as he does to those who are good. And so in God's single greatest act of of who he is, his self-disclosure to us, he says that we, we learn that God so loved his world that he gave his son. At the cross, we see that, that God is even, that he is the greatest lover of, of the enemy. The cross is not just for those who have it all together, but it's even more so for those who are opposed to God, who are absorbed in their own ways. We read that God loves them too. And in Jesus, he greets them. That's going to take some effort. <laughs> That's not always easy. I would like to redact some of that at times. Ron Sider said this, that if God in Christ reconciled his enemies by suffering servanthood, then those who want to know Christ faithfully dare not treat their enemies in any other way. And that seems to be Jesus' point. In going beyond greeting the easy to greeting even the hard. It's a new ethic. He ends that gospel, the gospel of Matthew, by saying, go and make disciples of all nations, a word that means all peoples. Don't spare anybody. Let the good news fall where it will fall. Give it to them all. No dividing lines. See everyone. Bring them into existence. Let God's grace fall everywhere. You know, neighbors, they can be stinkers, right? <laughs> they just move right in next door without even asking, usually. You know, they didn't come over and say, hey, what do you think? <laughs> can I be your neighbor? <laughs> Where's Mr. Rogers when you need him? And they all start having their own ideas about how they're going to live out their life right next door to you. You know, back home, my, my neighbor wants, to cut down, wants me to cut down a, a small grove of aspen trees that he says is in the line of view of the mountains. I'd already removed five trees and topped off two others when we first moved in, and he said that they were in his way. So I did it. You know, it's hard. Should the sun and the rain of my sacred, holy greeting now fall on him? What do you think? Apparently so. <laughs> Apparently so. And I like him. I do. You know, they're great neighbors. We get along. We share meals. They pick all our raspberries when we're on vacation. <laughs> we, uh, we watch basketball together. We ski together. They're great neighbors, really, but they're neighbors. <laughs> they're neighbors, and greeting one another, it seems to always take something more from us. Jesus said, be perfect as your Father is perfect. <laughs> right. This is precisely the area of my life where my imperfections seem to show up where I stew and I worry and probably put on a, you know, a stiff face and get all quiet. 
how can this idea of being faultless or flawless with other people be something to even aim for, to be like God? Perfection in, in greeting, even enemies? Our little church back home, eh, the pastor there, he gets all wrapped up. He's got a whole thing going called radical neighboring. <laughs> and it's a, a Teton Valley. It's full of people just like the Salt Lake Valley. People from all different walks of life and nationalities. And so the pastor there is trying to pull us all together. So he's got this whole concept called radical neighboring. They're even playing kickball with the Hispanic church down the street. You know, get together. Let's just play kickball. See what happens. I love it. Finding ways to, to break those barriers down. To be better neighbors. To, to greet one another with a, a cherishing, a, a sacredness. It's a great word. Apostle Paul would say, so, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's radical. That we are, are indeed even at the cross. So Luke, in his version of here Jesus' big sermon, he says, not be perfect, but be merciful as your Father is merciful. So the idea of, is more of being perfect in mercy. More than that, though, Jesus uses a word there, teleloi, this Greek word that's often used to describe people who were maturing, who were on their way to completion, to kind of becoming whole. And so the idea is much more about wanting to become whole in our mercy. Not about individual perfection, but to grow all the way up into our love for each other, our cherishing of each other. To be complete like your Father is complete. I'll try. We can try. C.S. Lewis says that Jesus works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. That, too, seems true. When we're trying to live into the new ethic of what to do with love, the love that God gives, where do we go with that? And apparently Jesus wants to, us to grow all the way up into that, become mature and complete like him to have a sacred duty to greet one another, to cherish one another. So then, here's our verse. You folks are going to be a perfectly mature people, just as your heavenly Father is perfectly mature. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, you know our lives. You know where we struggle, where we, we get that stiff upper lip and we try to endure and try to get through with people. Show us a radical neighboring kind of move this week. That we might live out and to grow all the way up into maturity when it comes to loving others as you have loved us. May we truly cherish one another and treat one another as sacred through Christ our Lord.